Hey, I'm Sierra, and this is Dig, 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 where we're digging into some of our fave media content and discussions with our fave friends. This month, we sit down with my writer friend, Maya Doig Acuna, and we talk about quietness and its relationship to blackness, time, space, and a bunch of other stuff. So let's get into it. I look at quietness as like intentional, you know, thoughtfulness. Um, And from you, I I get that. (laughs) I get that vibe. And um, yeah, I like really admire how, how you process things and how you take your time with processing things. And like, at least it comes across as if that, that is something that you have, um, that you are okay with. Um, and you're very comfortable in allowing yourself time to process and ask questions. And I think that that's really cool. Um, and I think also just as a writer, um, I think quietness and and introspection is pretty central, um, at least for me. Uh, and so I just wanted to like talk a little bit about that. Um, so the first question is, like a an ode to my favorite podcast like slash radio shows um ergo radio they always ask their their guests and the question is mm-hmm. how is the world treating you and how are you treating the world oh wow <laughs> that's a question <laughs> um hmm. how is the world treating me oh i've been feeling like i mean i guess it depends on like what how I'm conceptualizing the world, you know, because I think there's sort of, like, different corners of it are treating me differently these days. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I think something that's been really weird about being done with, for instance, like, applying to graduate school is that there's so much, like, especially, and then making my decisions public, that there's just a lot of um, congratulations, there's a lot of celebration. I think there's a way that or a feeling of like also just validation like people other people being like oh okay like you're smart um or you know you've gained gained entry into this space that is exclusive so that must mean something about you um and like where you belong and and so in those ways I guess I feel validated by the world but also in a way that like it, it rests that kind of validation rests on like also the opposite of validation because it's kind of like celebrating and for among some people, you know, celebrating getting into a space that's exclusive, right? So then in some ways being excited about that means also accepting the premise that um, that like a school or a space can make some people smart and valid and others not. Um, I don't know if that makes sense at all, mm-hmm. but so it's like this, I've been thinking about that a lot where I feel all of a sudden, um, like maybe the world is treating me well because there are like good things going for me, but it's hard to feel like they're just good because in some ways their goodness relies on, um, kind of like beliefs that can be harmful at the same time, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. How do you, um, how do you, yeah, yeah, just like how do you navigate that or, or what are you doing 
since you are aware of it? Oh, I think I'm still trying to figure that out, honestly. Um, I think I've been a little bit, I think I've just been a little bit um, ambivalent about beginning school, and I think that's part of it. Um, but, but I'm also, you know, like trying to, I think at this moment I haven't really moved far beyond awareness, and then I'm just like kind of trying to figure out how I can, you know, what, how I want to be in relationship to, um, to those, to, to that celebration, to that validation, and then to the other kinds of, like, maybe more, like, insidious beliefs that, that can underlie them. Yeah. That's um, interesting, that, like, feeling of ambivalence, um, especially with going into something that people think is just so cool, uh, because I, I feel like... I feel like that with most of the things that I do, um, but particularly, yeah, because you know, it, it's like, it is that, yes, it is great, but like, is it enough, it is, it, um, or, or is it, I don't know, is it like, if I'm working within a certain system, is it really gonna, is it, like, done in vain? I don't know. I feel a lot of, like, oh, like, not getting too excited about things because, um, I don't know, th- sometimes things just don't seem real, <laughs> and yeah. in the midst of doing all of these, like, so-called great things, real life is still happening, so yeah. sometimes it feels yeah. like you're just faking, <laughs> They see like 2% of what's happening and you are like experiencing a thousand percent of like craziness and like a fifth of what they see. (laughs) So it's like, what is real? Yeah, exactly, exactly, exactly. And I think that's part of it too. I'm also just like, okay, now I should catch up to the rest of my life as well. Um, I don't know. So I did the thing about social media and like, I making like social like life announcements on social media and how it can feel so good to obviously get so much feedback and to like I think just be able to I think what's felt most exciting has been able has been just being at a place where I can share my news with people, mm-hmm. you know, and then like like that feels really good. And then I can talk to people about it. Mm-hmm. Um so I, I guess like in answer to your question before about how I'm navigating this, I think like what I'm just trying to focus on is like, okay, like well what is the work that I'm going to grad school to do? And like that feels really thrilling. And then that also feels totally 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 in conversation with a bunch of different communities like it can't be separated from that and so that feels exciting because I'm like oh I'm about to go make work with all these people mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and then so that doesn't feel exclusive it feels you know necessarily inclusive like if it's going to be good work then it comes out of working it comes out to some degree collaboration mm-hmm. you know um, and drawing on other people's work and, and other people's you know, activism and storytelling, and so I think that, I feel like enormous responsibility in that sense, um, but also really honored and excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I, I think, like, remembering, always resetting. I'm, I'm like, for me, I'm constantly, like, day one, I'm on, like, level 10, I'm like, I got it, I'm here. Day two, I'm like, I am back at negative 
45, like, <laughs> we're going to have to readjust because we have to make sure that we are, you know, doing what we say that we're doing um, and yeah. doing it for the yeah. reasons that we're doing it. Um, but I, I do want to talk about a little bit about your work um, and how it is, like, inextricably linked to who you are, um, especially in relation to quietness. And so I was thinking about, um, you know, quietness is, is the absence of noise, the absence of, like, any sort of distraction and things like that. And I, I think that as black people in the, in, in the white under under the, the the gaze of whiteness, we are seen as the distraction, even though obviously that is not the case. Um, so therefore, to be black and to be quiet is pretty much a radical thing. It's, it's like um, it's a pretty powerful thing, um, and I, I see that even in like you know holistic spaces of black people doing yoga or meditating or just different things like that. Um, and so just just what are your thoughts on blackness and, and quietness and how they relate to each other? Mm. That's interesting. Mm. I guess what I'm thinking about as you say that is just like how important it is to remember the like huge, like tremendous expansiveness of like this is what it means to be black, but it, what it means to, like, be human and be black. You know, I, I think that there's, there's so many, like, tropes about blackness, so many, um, like, floating narratives about what it means, and sometimes those are, I mean, often, when you know, when they're, like, sort of American narratives, right, or things that are, like, um, more dominant, they're really negative and harmful, um, and they hurt. But there's also, there are also, I think, narratives about blackness that we develop um, in resistance to those negative ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know what I mean? Like ideas about, like, black resilience or ideas about um, how we create, how we're create, how we, like, employ creativity to survive really difficult situations, right? Mm-hmm. And, like, those are true. Um but I think sometimes they can also end up being swallowing narratives where we believe, like, that we need to be one way or we think about our ancestors as being one way. Um, so I guess, like, I don't know that I, I often see quietness as part of that way. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of, like, discussion about the kinds of, like, cultural contributions we make, the kind of, like... Um, the importance of, like, visibility and loudness um, and making ourselves known in places where we people don't want to know us, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but I think that there's also just really helpful and important for me to remember that, um, that we're also just, like, in being human, there's just infinite possibilities for, like, how we express ourselves and how we are and how we think. Um, and even, like, historical narratives, right? Historical narratives should also get to have that kind of complexity, which means that, you know, we're, there are many of us who are quiet and periods of quietness and, um, and so, much, so much value, I think, also in, in being quiet and occupying those spaces. Like, something that I think about a little bit is, um, like, my grandmother, who was 
in maybe kind of a, like, I don't know if I'd call her a shy person, but definitely a little more introverted, less, like, not as, like, super social. I'm sure her sister was, like, the, like, super extroverted one. She was always out on the block, like, talking to everybody. She's a tourist. <laughs> um, this is my great aunt, though. And just, like, oh, my God, so out there, loud, visible. Like, she was, like, a connector, you know, all of these things. Um, and I think there were a lot of ways that, I mean, this is, you know, a whole, like, very individual story, but a lot of ways in which my, my own grandmother, who was less like that, often felt um, like, that, like that was that meant that there was some kind of deficit, you know, and um, in her personality. But like, I think that there's just there's just so much um, like beauty in her quietness, and 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 when I say beauty, I don't mean just like as an aesthetic. I mean like. In, in that, like, that richness of her just being her and, in, in, like, all of her precise details, and those precise details include quietness, and I think that's really special. Um, and, then, and, and I think that just, it moves me to, to remember that, that all of us get to exist in our, like, precise details. Um, and, and sometimes that's different than the narratives we learn about what it means to be black or to be part of, like, a black tradition. Um, you know, but it, it's just so important that we, re, we remind ourselves that um, it's just the, the black tradition is expansive and always changing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Does that answer your question? Yeah. <laughs> really like, no, there's so many things. One thing that I thought about was, um, so the filmmaker who... Uh, directed the film Losing Ground, Kathleen Collins. I'm, like, obsessed with her. Um, She, fun fact, she also went to Middlebury's, like, school in France and studied French, and, like, and through studying that, she took a class on, like, screenwriting or playwriting or something like that, and her professor made them read um, all of these books that were then turned into films, and so they had to, like, constantly go back and forth between those things and she was just talking about how that um enhanced her skills as a as a writer and as a storyteller mm-hmm. she's literally like, like, having to, like go back and forth, like in terms of translation like have to go back and tra- forth, yeah translating and then like understanding like what is the story saying how how does it differ from page to screen all of, mm-hmm. oh my god so many so many she she's so amazing she passed away at like 46 which is so sad, but she, well, that lady is like phenomenal. But she gave a, a, a lecture at Howard in I, I think eighty four. Losing Ground came out in eighty two, um, mm-hmm. and in that lecture, she talked about so it, an undergrad. She went to Skidmore and she studied theology, um, and so wow. she talked about the um, mythology of blackness and how. Um, because black people are, are so mythologized, then black people create these counter narratives that, like you said, become can become just as um, just as detrimental in a way, um, or, mm-hmm. or or just as uh, singular as yeah, as, yeah. as those other narratives, um, mm-hmm. and how that. How, how we as black people have to stray away from that and, and how we have to, um, she talked about it in terms of like writing characters and so really just making them human. Um, uh-huh. If you have a black character, 
their their identity is not only that they're black. Maybe they like to eat a lot. <laughs> Maybe they like mm-hmm. to go for long walks. You know, so yeah. Um, I thought a lot about that when you when you were talking. Um, but I also um, was interested in in family and New York and 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 all of that. Like you know, like where are you from? What are those stories like? What was what was the experience like? I, I feel that. A lot of times um, people look at people who grow up in the cities and think that all of our lives are so fast paced all the time. And it's like the reality is we can we live very um, normal, normally paced lives. Um, uh-huh. and, and in that we create our own spaces for introspection. We we interact with people in, in a way that's much more intimate and much more slow um in in a way and so what what was what was that like and I'm also sort of drawing from uh your article about your your family's restaurant so yes I did stalk you and read up again (laughs) I mean that's not stalking I really did like what you're right like it sounds like good preparation (laughs) but also it's also funny I don't know thank you um a lot of memory from like a time that I didn't actually experience you know what I mean like mm-hmm. it's not quite my memory mm-hmm. um you know like I was writing a lot of it was also about like the like 70s mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I, I hear what you're saying before when you were like oh people think that people folks living in cities have a you know very fast-paced life or um are constantly on the go and I feel like growing up in Brooklyn in general, maybe, but maybe also the time that I did, I don't really know exactly what it's like to grow up in Brooklyn now. But, um, like, I felt like my life was, like, I lived, like, a separate, like, Brooklyn was its own world, like, its own planet. Um, and we would only go into the city for, like, very important business, like, like doctor's visit. And then it wasn't, like, a thing where I was like, oh, I don't live in the city. I felt very much like, no, this is part of New York. This is New York City. Like, this is fundamental to New York. Um, but I also, I think Brooklyn to me, especially where I lived, you know, like I, I lived in, like, very residential areas. Um, not residential. I mean, I don't know what this will mean to you, Sierra, but, like, <laughs> for other, anyone else who encounters this ever, like, not residential, like, Dimmit Park or, like, where Dead Eyes just looks like the suburbs. Um, but still, you know, there's some level of quiet, um, yeah, and so I, I, I don't remember feeling, like, growing up, I feel like there was constant, like, hustle and bustle around me. Um, I felt like I had, like, my block, and, like, my friends on the block, and, like, my siblings, and, like, I went to the same, you know, school with, like, I had, like, my friends from kindergarten up, um, and I, and I think about, like, moving to Fort Greene when I was, like, eight, I think, and... And that's, and it's funny because I, like, I always think of Fort Greene as, like, where I was raised and, like, my home. Because I think it's just at this point the place that I remember living in the most. Um, but I, I didn't move there until I was eight. Oh. Um, yeah. Um, I mean, I just, like, lived in other parts of Brooklyn. Um, actually, I lived, I lived on the, like, the edge. I, I, I don't know how much time you spent in New York, but, like, I, I lived on, like, the edge of Flatbush. 
Slope and Fort Greene. Oh, um, yeah. I, I worked then. in um, Park Slope the last summer I was there. Right. I mean, yes, you were in New York the whole summer. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So I know you have some familiarity with it. But um, <laughs> anyway, so I don't know. I just always felt like kind of my own planet. I felt like such a particular time. It's so weird now, like how fast Brooklyn has changed in particular. Because I'll go and like, it just it, it feels like like the concept of like place and time just have collapsed into each other where I'm like to me what I understand as Brooklyn literally just doesn't exist anymore you know because it feels so bordered by a certain period of time like I'm like oh no Brooklyn is between like 1994 and 2008 and then it's not Brooklyn anymore wow yeah um which is not real you know and I think that's like also partly driven by the fact that I don't live there now um right so when I go back, I'm still also, I'm not going back as in, like, oh, I'm just going to go home. Um, and I think that, but there's, like, in some ways, my relationship to Brooklyn now is one in which I feel like I'm constantly chasing, like, a memory. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that is real because of gentrification, and then part of that is also just, like, me being, like, nostalgic as fuck and, like, not living there anymore and still feeling kind of, like, salty about not living there anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's, I, I do, and I feel very, very, I, I feel more connected, I think, to Brooklyn than I do to New York in general, um, and I think that's just been a really important part of how I see myself and how I see the world and how I see my family, too, and, you know, like, thinking about the, the, the article that, um, in Ojemezka that I wrote, it's just, um, I feel like I have it feels like the only place I have history, which isn't true either. Mm. Um, but that's how I feel about it, you know. So, Can yeah. you talk a little bit more about um, that feeling like the only place you have history, and and also how all of that translates into into your work, and essentially into your okay. person. <laughs> into my what? Into like d- just your person to yourself. Uh. Um, I think part of, like, that needing history thing is, like, I mean, a lot of people would be like, oh, that's, like, a diaspora thing, you know, Mm -hmm. because, I don't know, it just amazes me sometimes when I'm, like, when people's families have been here forever, and obviously, I mean, like, even when we think about people's families being here forever, we have to contend with the fact that, like, unless you're, like, indigenous, like, indigenous communities really have been here, you know, I have, like, claims to the land, you know, in places like New York, too, places like Brooklyn, in ways that, like, none of us can touch, and then, like, black Americans also have claims mm-hmm. to, to, this, to the space in ways that, like, the rest of us can't touch, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, so, but it still is, like, wild when people are just like, oh, yeah, like, my family's just been here for, like, a hundred years, or, like, <laughs> well, I was like, what? <laughs> Um, I, mean, I can't even really wrap my head around it because I'm like, I feel like, wow, I have so such deep roots in Brooklyn and like my family arrived, like my first family member arrived in like 1959, I think. That's so um, crazy. Like I, even as a black American kind of feel like that because I'm only second generation in Chicago. <laughs> so it's like, you know, I'm like, I don't, I, I told my mom yesterday, I'm like, I'm from the North. Like, I don't know. I don't know the South. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's interesting, right? I mean, I just think, like, there's a way that I think we're, we expect ourselves to, 
I don't know, to like not feel so deeply tied to place in the U.S. in terms of like, like, you know what I mean? Like you're only second generation Chicago, right? But you're just like, I don't even know the South. Like, I understand my family is from there, but like that's, that's a, it is a different world in some ways. And, and I, like for me, I'm even like Manhattan and Brooklyn are a different worlds. Like, I'm not from Manhattan. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and those are literally worlds right next to each other where there's so much traffic in between them. Um, but, I don't know, and I think, I think, like, many of us, it's important to feel a place, a sense of history in a place. Um, I don't, I don't think I feel like I need to, like, own a place or feel like it's mine necessarily, but it's more like I want to belong to a place. Does that make sense? Like, I don't want, a, I don't need a place to belong to me, but I want to belong to it. Um, and I mean, it depends. Like on one side of my family, like my my mom's family is from Chile, and they came just like basically their immediate family immigrated to the U.S. So we have very few family members here, mm-hmm. um, and they migrated to New Haven, which I feel some degree of connection to, but like. It's not a place that, you know, my mom feels like it's home. And then there's Chile, but she left when she was younger. And then there's, you know, there's quite, I think questions of race entering. It's really far away. And then when I go, like, no one ever is going to think I'm Chilean. Mm. Like, if I say, even my mom is Chilean, I'll be there. And I'll be like, oh, yeah, well, my mom is from here. And they'll be like, really? Like, where? Where was she born? Mm. And I'm like, I don't think that's that hard to believe. Like, I don't know. Yeah, like, right? Like, like, pushing me on that. So I don't necessarily feel like, any kind of rootedness in terms of, like, my own ancestry or past. And then Panama, I mean, there's some degree of that, but, like, even then, it's, like, my family there were migrants, you know? Like, my my father's family came to Panama, I mean, a long time ago, I guess, like, in in the 20th century, but they came from a bunch of different West Indian countries, right? Like, Jamaica, Martinique, and St. Lucia. So... I, I, you know, I just, there's like a sense of like, within the last, you know, several generations, like my family has kind of, especially on my dad's side, has lived in like, what, six different countries, <laughs> like, so it's just, I don't feel a, a, a huge sense of like, oh, this like source, like, oh, this is where my family is from, it feels like my family, so in Brooklyn to me, it feels like, oh, this is the place I know, and it has such tremendous history of being like a, a site of diaspora come together that feels like where I'm from, mm-hmm. you know? Um, yeah, even in, a, in an ancestral sense, that's sometimes how I feel. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously I'm talking about a very particular experience of, like, fromness, you know? Like, oh, I'm from this neighborhood, or, like, my family, my roots are here in this restaurant, or, like, in, on this block, rather than, you know, obviously, like, it's not, like, an ethnic thing, but... Mm-hmm. So. I feel that I feel yeah. I feel like that wanting to belong, wanting to um, be grounded, that ha- have a sense of stability itself is a form of quietness. Wanting to say, "Oh, okay, at least I can I can be here, and I know that that this is mine, <laughs> and I know okay. that um, I can be in whatever that means for me." I can exist in all of that in this place or at this time. Um, and yeah, I think how you were saying like gentrification works, like gentrification is is that noise. <laughs> is that noise to disrupt <laughs> wow. that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. 
subtly um but it's happening it's it's not like uh-huh. a like a pilsen where you have a lot of these um recently graduated people from wherever little college they went to and they're like i want to go to chicago and i want to live amongst the normal people or whatever <laughs> and then they just like all oh, rent this one like whatever they do you know um it's 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 the gentrification in my area is way, is way sexier. It's like it's suave, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I think that that okay. I think that's that's even more dangerous and like, cause it's like you don't know you you just yeah. you just don't know what's happening. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's also like, like I think there's also something for us as like people who, you know, graduated schools like Millbury or whatever, at least for me, speaking for myself, in, like, in which gentrification, too, is, like, is in some ways targeted at me, though. You know what I mean? Like, I, I'm not phrasing that right, but what I mean is, like, there are some of the, some of the, like, symptoms of gentrification or the ways that it expresses itself, like, the kind of businesses or the aesthetic shifts are, like, things that I like, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Like, <laughs> Yeah. Um, so that's something that I've, you know, been thinking about and grappling with for a long time where I'm just like, oh, you know, like, I want to distance myself so much from it, but like, you know, like, I'm I'm definitely part of that, too. <laughs> like, that's, that's, you know, I live in Harlem right now. I'm not from Harlem. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, like, the rent here is expensive. Mm-hmm. It's expensive because of gentrification rent. Like, <laughs> um, uh, Yeah. I don't know if like, I'm from New York, but, like, I don't know that that necessarily excuses people from, like, participating in, in some of those, like, in gentrification. Yeah, know? I feel that. And then it makes it, it makes it tough, at least for me, because then I think about, okay, well, if I don't participate in this, where I don't go this place, am I then settling? And, like, um, you know, like, am I if I have all this information and access and all this other stuff, am I supposed to, like, in order to uplift those coming after me or just the community in general, do I have to enter these spaces? And if I don't enter these spaces, what does that mean for those coming after me? That That's something that I think about uh, a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a lot, mm-hmm. a lot. That makes sense. You feel like a certain level of responsibility as well. yeah. It's, yeah. it's something. Um, yeah. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a lot. <laughs> but um, what are some things that you're working on now? Um, and what are some ways that you'd like people to connect with you? Um, I'm actually working on a piece right now about Chile. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of what I mentioned before about race in Chile. And like that, I mean, I, I, I think I've, it, it, I don't know how to write without it coming out of some kind of personal space. Like, that's just how I do things for the most part. But um, but there's some interesting stuff going on right now in the country, like a lot of organizing by, like, Afro-Chilenos in, like, the North. Those are people who are, like, descendants of enslaved folks who are brought to work, like, to mine. 
mm. in like northern Chile, and, and most of them are like very mixed at this point, but still like identify as black, um, and have been so ridiculously like erased from like all of like the, the, the national imaginary of what it means to be Chilean. Mm. It's really wild. Like I mean, I like my I remember visiting Chile for the first time and being like, oh, like there's just no black people in this country. Like, wow. Um, and so they've been organizing, and now there's that like uh, they've been fighting for, like, uh, recognition on the census, and I, th- I, I think I was reading something the other day about that happening, um, and so, like, that's happening in the North, and there's all of these Haitian immigrants who have been, um, coming into Chile over the, since the, the earthquake, I think 1%, in, like, 2016, 1% of Haiti's population migrated to Chile, mm-hmm. like, a full 1%, so it's, it's been a lot, so they're just, like, grappling with a lot, they're having to confront a lot of, like, racism, and, like, just deal with what it means to be, to belong there, to be Chilean, um, I'm, I'm writing a piece about that. I don't know when it'll be done, but <laughs> I'm working on it. Mm. Um, how do I want people to connect with me? I don't know. I mean, I've been trying to, like, be more active on Twitter, but for now, I've, I've mostly still just been a lurker. Like, <laughs> you know, where it's just, like, like a lot of other people's status. <laughs> like, or not even status, it's, oh, my God, um, tweets. I don't know, like, uh, anyway... So I'm, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, I guess like when you say connect with, what do you mean? In whatever in whatever ways um, that that means to you, whether that means like support in what you do or uh, resources or literally just like, do you want people to like follow you or um, yeah, stuff like that. Okay. Well, I would love for people to read what I write, and I would also love to read what other people are writing, and just, like, I'm, I'm really excited by collaboration and just, like, thinking with people, which is also why I love working with you, because I think you're really good at thinking with people, um, and it's always exciting, so, and I just, like, really trust you a lot, and yeah. as, as, like, a creative person and, like, leader and thinker, so, yeah, I would love to keep working with you and other people like you. Wow, well, thank you. 